0: All right, everybody, welcome to the May 18th edition of Cascadian Views. I've got JJ and Dan with me here this week. Uh, Chris is out about with family. I'm sure he'll be back at some point. Otherwise, they're going to steal him from us forever.
1: He's <laughs> out uh, sure. for like two weeks now, he's He's out for two weeks? Yeah, I, think I he's believe in. so. We all this took like weeks? damn
0: near a month off. I'm not going to talk about
1: that. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. I mean, and I'll be gone probably in like a month, because so I'll be down in California. But we'll
0: work that uh, out Our big... I, I think our biggest national story of the week was really the wave of abortion bills that really set out the tone. Uh, some with the explicit goal of overturning Roe v. Wade. So uh, there's no misunderstanding about where they're coming from. Uh, Dan, you were seemingly way more up on this than me. I... I'd, been aware of the ones in the news from Alabama, or excuse mm. me, from Georgia and Missouri. Uh, Alabama apparently passed an even stronger ban,
2: uh, right? As well, yeah. Uh, Georgia and uh, Ohio actually were the first two out the gate, uh, and their bills were fairly similar. They're called their so-called fetal heartbeat bills, which restrict any abortion, actually criminalize any abortion that takes place after basically six weeks, which uh, you know, pregnancy terminology is six weeks after the woman's last period. So really hard to even tell you're pregnant at six weeks a lot of the time, unless you're really checking for it. Uh, so they were the first ones out the gate. And then uh, this week, uh, Alabama also passed their law and uh, Governor Ivey signed it, I believe on Thursday night And then uh, just in the last couple of days, the uh, Missouri legislature passed a law that's maybe slightly less stringent. It only criminalizes it after eight weeks. So, um, yeah, woohoo there. And the governor there is also expected to sign it. Um, Really, really harsh laws. Uh, I believe the Alabama law and the Georgia law as well also have provisions where that criminalized so-called abortion trafficking. So if a woman tries to leave the state to procure an abortion, she can also be prosecuted. It's just really, really vicious and aggressive uh, laws that are being passed here uh, with the expectation that the court is going to be more sympathetic for to them. Uh, so yeah, that's that's the that's the quick rundown. <laughs> the uh,
0: the bills here seem to have really taken um, a much harsher tone than I would have expected them to do. They usually kind of needle around a challenge and pick away with it, but I mean, these are so bad. Tommy Loren and uh, what's his name? The Pat Robertson are calling right them, uh, to its dream.
2: Yeah. Well, it's it's a Oh, go ahead. Sorry,
0: I, I was just going to say that's that's not the people you expect to be on the side of whoa whoa whoa. Let's slow down on the pro life stuff.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, Lauren, her her whole uh, I think part of her brand is that you know while she's a Nazi in every other aspect of her politics, she is personally pro choice. Uh, and yeah, I don't know where I'd have to look at the context for what Pat Robertson said. My thought is that a lot of these objections will probably be uh well kind of a mirror image of you know some of the arguments we have amongst ourselves on the left like whoa 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 you're going to provoke a reaction you're going to uh get a backlash and then we're going to work be worse off than we were before i think that might be what robertson might be getting at is that without these kinds of Exceptions, uh, the law is going to be much more easy to challenge and eventually overturn. And in the meantime, the political backlash.
0: That, that does yeah. kind of track with what he said. Uh, he called it an extreme law. And he said they want to challenge Roe v. Wade, but my humble view is that this is not the case that we want to bring to the Supreme Court because I think this will lose. Uh, yeah. He decided the lack of exemptions for rape or incest and its punishment of up to 99 years in prison for performing an abortion thought by itself. Would be it.
2: Yeah. So a totally real politic argument then. And that honestly has a lot going for it. Uh, it's easy to forget that Robertson himself is a lawyer. And yeah, I, I think he's right. I mean, if there's any of these uh, laws that Roberts is likely to give, or Kavanaugh for that matter, is likely to give the thumbs down to, it's probably the Alabama one. Uh, But uh, the Georgia bill, the Missouri bill, the Ohio bill, it seems they seem like the sort of legislation that, you know, the closest thing we have to swing justices on this court are going to likely give the whole kind of catch 22 approval on and say, well, you know, it does not literally ban all abortion. Uh, if you are aware of a pregnancy before it is reasonable to be aware of a pregnancy, you could get an abortion then, in theory, and therefore it's not an undue burden, which has basically been uh, the stamp of approval that uh, Justice Kennedy gave to so many abortion restrictions near the end of his uh, time on the court. God, and that kind of makes me wonder, like, if the
1: Alabama one has been deliberately positioned, since all of these have come out at roughly the same time, like, is deliberately positioned as the easy target extreme version to allow
2: the others to become established precedent. Maybe. I think they're also just that savage.
1: Yeah, I mean, (laughs) uh, not mutually exclusive. (laughs) (laughs) The uh, attempt at
0: punishing abortion trafficking, as uh, I believe Georgia called it, that seems to tread on some fairly well-established uh, established federal territory. I mean, that's literally interstate commerce. That That's like one of the very few expressly identified situations where the federal government's laws spring. Yeah. It, it just strikes me as that's not going to hold up either.
1: Yeah, that did seem like a really easy challenge as well. Like, wait, no, of course that can't work. Like, <laughs> that, that's not... how things operate but that also hasn't stopped people so far maybe logic is just no longer an objection point.
2: well it's yeah i mean i was thinking you know the strategy at least when kennedy was still on the court was to basically make abortion functionally impossible in huge parts of the state you know put really high bars for opening up a clinic or keeping a clinic open require lots of standards that don't exist for any other medical procedure in order to keep a clinic open and, you know, drastically reduce the number of uh, facilities that could offer it. So, gosh, they were down to, I think, less than half a dozen in all of Texas as of uh, the end of the Obama administration. And in a number of states, it's just Completely and effectively unavailable anywhere I'm
0: pretty sure we have more places in the Portland metro area than in all of the state of Texas
2: Oh, yeah, and think about how massive the state is and think of if you You know, need to make arrangements to go somewhere and oh by the way, there's a waiting period so you need to spend you know more time waiting to get an abortion than you would to get a gun uh, or, you know, all these other hurdles that get put in place. You have to travel, stay in one place for a significant period of time. And that was all before we started seeing these attempts to actively just ban the procedure outright and criminalize it so that if you do manage to find a way to get one or if you happen to have a stash of, uh, what's it, RU486 uh, or whatever, you know, yeah, the I'm current – right, yeah version of the pill, the morning after pill, uh, if you just happen to have some on hand that you can use, and the state finds out about it, that's also criminalized, and you could face a lot of jail time for using it. I mean, all these, you know, Isn't just...
0: that pill non-prescription in several states?
2: Yes, over-the-counter. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah, you you could get a large quantity of it, but and you use it, and you could be subject to prosecution. So these are just such a weird, incredibly vicious law.
0: literally over the counter in, in many States that I'm aware of. And then just merely possessing it in another state is a a huge crime.
2: Well, I I assume you could still possess the medication, but using it would be the criminal act. Yeah. Yeah. Just absolutely bananas because it's, it's a medical procedure and lots of women need them <laughs> so it, it and it can be done relatively safe it's certainly safer than actually going through the process of uh nine months of pregnancy followed by birth i think we can so... <laughs> all
0: rest easy though knowing that susan collins said she would not vote for the oh, alabama working ban.
1: yeah <laughs> well i'm sure like four people actually believed her
0: well, I mean, she's not in Alabama, so she fucking
2: can't. Yeah, well... Don't you tell her that, Rob. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that'll be the next thing, though, I honestly assume, is once, once they do get something that either formally overturns Roe or drastically reduces it the way uh, Kennedy and uh, Roberts had done over the previous terms, Federal's probably next. I mean, I
0: mean, with the Democratic House, though, they're not going to
2: criminalize that on federal level. Yeah. And the Senate won't take it up as long as there is a Democratic House that won't pass it. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it's definitely on the agenda. And the next time you see Republican trifecta government, I would not be surprised if someone tries to push that through.
0: Speaking of possibilities for the next government... Um... How's that for a segue? Brown, yeah, that one—that one, that one was good. That was one. Of How my about them ones. Joe Bidens?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm going to memorialize that one someday. Uh, we, yeah, we should check in on the primary race. Um, things are different than they were before. I think hmm. Warren is establishing a credible claim to either number two or number three. Uh, Bernie has been in in fairly severe freefall since Biden entered the race. Uh, he's down to that 10 15% range with Warren. Um, and then Biden is just completely eating everybody's.
1: Thus, solidly proving America's huge boner for any white man to be doing this <laughs> job. Like, they're just like, oh, it's, it's an old man. And sure, he's crazy, but he's fine. He's a a white guy. He's fine. And then Uncle Joe comes in and they're like, oh, the other crazy uncle. We (laughs) like him so much more. Yeah, Uh, while Elizabeth Warren is just like writing multiple dissertations in her sleep in America. And everyone's (laughs) like, oh, I don't know if she's ready. So the okay. the weird
0: thing about Warren's kind of uh, emergence into the top tier of this race has been that she hasn't done anything different. This The Warren campaign has not changed in any noticeable way since she announced uh, whatsoever. She's holding the same type of, of press conferences that she always did, which are really at least three quarters college lectures. Uh, I'm, I'm actually quite entertained by them um and i say that as a man who occasionally watches college lectures on youtube so mm-hmm. maybe i'm
1: predisposed to that but i really feel it's what political discourse should be honestly like i appreciate that she talks with people yeah and, I, and I, like and that you've got to get into the reads sometimes and yeah it's a little tricky and it sucks but like we got to get there to have a real conversation you have some confidence
2: that threat. the person knows what they're doing.
1: Yeah. And and that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, the reason I bring up the fact that it hasn't changed much is to really discuss something that has started happening, is that the press has started covering her more. Mm-hmm. Um, Warren has, has now achieved rough parity to her, her polling percentage uh, in terms of her, her media coverage, and that was not true for the last three or four months. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I just... I wonder a little bit if the press has kind of warmed to covering that sort of story. Um, Amelia pointed out in the group that uh, it may not necessarily be inherent sexism in the media, not to diminish that problem at all. It may be that Warren's particular style is is kind of hard to cover as a news product. Uh, It doesn't really fit in any of the normal boxes, and they may have been uncomfortable with it for a while. No, it's not exciting TV. Uh, Lord knows, it's the farthest thing from it. I mean, she has binders that she brings on stage with her. It's, uh, it's not engrossing or anything like that. And I think there could be some truth to that, although I I, I do think there's a large amount of institutional sexism in the media.
1: Yeah, I mean, and and to that point, I will offer as my most basic evidence Wolf Blitzer. Yeah. That dude is not scintillating TV, nor I think really has he ever been. Um
0: I hear his beard has and a separate yeah. contract with CN.
1: Right? Like <laughs> But that says a lot to my point that like honestly the best and most interesting part about Wolf Blitzer is his beard. <laughs> it has been <laughs> for like a decade. The rest like it's a beard that has a man attached to it. And we're not actually <laughs> interested in the person that talks so i i mean while there is part where i'm like yeah you know sh- her style in an anti-intellectual cultural context which is absolutely our cultural context around this type of issue in this country um yeah people see that as a lot more boring but like then there's Wolf blitzer man like that dude has never been exciting and that dude has been on cnn or Abba.
0: I, I'm frankly surprised he actually wasn't arrested on national security grounds uh, during the Obama uh, Osama bin Laden thing. Uh, he was up there. He had the information. He wasn't allowed to release it. There was an embargo to a specific point in time. But for like an hour and a half, it was obvious to anybody who tuned in that we had got bin Laden. I called it an hour before the announcement on my Facebook feed because Wolf Blitzer wasn't that obvious. He, he's terrible at what he does. He's just absolutely <laughs> terrible at it. And the guy he replaced was dead. pretty good. You guys remember, I think his name was Aaron Brown or something?
1: I don't know. That's...
0: He was kind of a, a stuffy black guy. Um, and he's gone on to have kind of a, a second career in uh, print media that's been pretty good. He's, he's hmm. been an excellent newsman. Uh, but his his tenure at CNN was cut short and Wolf Blitzer took over. Uh, the I guess the the other trend that we see in the polls uh in the race is that uh Buttigieg seems to be losing some momentum um mm-hmm. although that that's noticeably not coming from uh white voters where he's still sitting at like eight to ten percent uh but he absolutely craters to about two and a half percent among minority voters, which um i I think tells us a little something um not necessarily about gig I don't think he's like an evil person but I don't think he has the concerns of that community uh, mm. really at the forefront of his mind and so I, I, I think we can see that reflected in the polling uh, that's been hammered home lately with a, a bunch of stories about what his redevelopment plan has gotten to some of the people who live in certain areas of South Bend and yeah it, it's done a lot to revitalize the city and bring in reinvestment but the cost has been of displacement of original.
1: Yeah. I mean, though he has been a quote-unquote success story, it's happened in a very prototypical and traditional success story, which has victimized the people who traditionally get victimized by those success stories. It's, it's not a great look for young, for, for, blah, young progressivism. Right. Like we're, we're really supposed to be doing better and, and deliberately not making those same mistakes again.
2: Yeah. Well, and rhetorically speaking, he was, there There was a while where he was kind of sounding like the, uh, kind of the Bernie haters parody of Bernie in terms of, uh, I, I don't know, just, you know, appeal to the white working class. Democrats have, you know, forgotten how to appeal to people, you know, outside of the cities. And I'm going to do it with, uh, well, instead of socialism, he was going to do it with his, I don't know, down home Midwestern values, you know, just it's stuff that reads as code to the kind of voters you need in yeah. the Democratic Party and it screams stay away.
1: I, I saw a comparison to LBJ that I thought was really apt mm-hmm. of, of that same kind of style. of just like, yeah, so we remember this. Right. Like this happened before. You're just younger now. Yeah.
0: Uh, O'Rourke has had the bottom dropout quite a bit, Yeah, his, his high was never all that high. Uh, he mm-hmm. peaked at about 8% according to the real player politics average, and now he's down to about 4%, so he's lost about half his steam on that.
2: I wonder how his money's coming in still, or if it is, because that was the one thing he really had going for him was, you know, Obama-style fundraising, but, uh... Yeah, I, I don't know if that's kept up because uh, he's, he's just short of 10 million as of the uh, reporting deadline, granted with, you know, much signif- significantly less time than the other candidates who've been in the race. So that's I don't know. I wonder if that's drying up, too, with his support or if uh, he's still at least got some stuff to spend.
0: That'd be interesting. Uh, when's our yeah. next round of financials due?
2: Uh, that would be the end of June, so we won't know till you know, the debates if he still got juice.
0: Uh, Harris has been ranging in the polls from uh, about eight percent to twelve percent, depending on who you ask. Except for Harvard, Harvard has her at five percent. They really don't like her in their model. Mm. I don't. I don't really know what's going on with that one. And that one doesn't especially love Biden either. It's I mean, it's on the higher end. It's Biden plus 30, but it's not the highest in the field. Yeah. So, uh, a little bit strange on that, but uh, Warren is in a solid third place. Her, her average is just over two digits. Sanders is, is sitting back. Uh, he's still at 16%, but he's, he's buoyed by an Emerson poll from last week that has him at 25%. Nothing else has him within 10 points of that lately, though. So. That might be a bit of an outlier as well. Um, he, he's been in the the fifteen to to fourteen range there.
2: Yeah, um, I think he's got a, I think he's got a solid support of around or a solid floor of around fifteen percent, and I'd be surprised if he drops much lower than that.
0: Yeah, in fact, it does look like the free fall kind of tailed off. Um, yeah, the, the big gap kind of froze for a bit, and actually even moved a couple points in Sanders' favor this week, uh, largely because of that one emerson poll that has them up at 25
2: yeah i I think if warren or harris or one of the others is going to make gains they're probably going to have to come at biden's expense largely
0: or peeling off the truly astronomical number of people between like four percent and six (laughs) percent yeah there's like seven people in that bunch
2: yeah the just all of the uh Everybody who's sitting at one percent or you know thereabouts, you know, just <laughs> you
0: yeah. Know, well, if one percent is a cutoff, we get all the way down to uh, Castro on the average. Gabbard yeah. is just under that at point nine, and then you get Yang, Inslee, Gillibrand at point seven, uh, Ryan at point six, Bennett at point six, and Williamson at point five.
1: Mm. I mean, I imagine all that shakes out pretty quickly after the first debate. See, then I, you know, I have a real formally established packing order, I imagine. I think the first yeah.
0: debate could be absolutely crucial for a couple candidates. I, I don't think i will change totally. much of the way, yeah. or for some of them. But I think if Inslee's going to catch fire, Inslee's going to catch fire. In the
1: debate. Yeah. If, in a same way, I I think it's both Warren Harris and Buttigieg's best shots. Yeah. It's like. You've got to take down Bernie and Biden, mostly Biden. Mm-hmm. But you have to you've got to take down Biden and then outshine Bernie so yeah. that you can get those numbers and show true believers that you can be the better Bernie. Mm-hmm. Like that's definitely Warren and Harris's path to victory.
2: Absolutely.
1: Because like we can outreason Biden, but we still have the fire and the stones skip the Bernie people.
0: I think that's true, but I I also don't think the debates are nearly as crucial to them as it is for, like, Inslee. Like, Warren and Harris and even Buttigieg are in the public conversation. Inslee is not. Inslee has one chance to go in front of, like, a national TV audience. Oh, for sure. Mm -hmm. Climate change. If he is going to become unnamed that people even consider in the presidential race, he has to do it at the debate. He, He can't just be a background character and expect to actually get anywhere.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, and he has to force every other person on that stage to be able to talk intelligibly about it, which definitely the two old men are not gonna do well on. Bernie's okay, but he he gets to a talking point too quickly that he's too comfortable with and it kinda deviates from the point. And Biden's
2: just way too old about it. Yeah. Well, he'll, Biden talks about middle ground and all this. Just yeah, not really in tune with the current. Biden
1: still Second thinks part. that cap and trade is like the new thing.
2: <laughs> <laughs> He's like,
1: "That's fucking dope,
2: you guys. We're, we're gonna do it. We're, we've got we the, the, the finest just, policies of the yachts." Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah. Actually, cap and trade is gonna come up a little bit later. Uh, there, there's still movement on that.
1: Don't, don't knock it too I'm, far. I'm telling you, Brock, I have it on good authority. I've heard somebody say it's the next new big thing.
0: Right, you know what? We'll just <laughs> roll on to the next section anyway. There's, there's not much more to say about the primary. Um, we covered last week the Oregon State Senate and the Republican caucus in that Senate, fleeing, in some cases, the state get away, uh, deny a quorum uh, in the Senate. They have returned, and they have... Um, agreed to allow the the business tax bill that they were complaining about to pass in return they uh get the governor to nix an already passed but not signed bill that would uh grass drastically cut down on the number of uh, exemptions that are allowed to the childhood vaccine schedule Uh, this is important because oregon has the lowest kindergarten vaccination rate in the country uh, almost Almost 10% of our kindergartners are unvaccinated. Uh, we allow, as the law stands now, exemptions for anybody who asked for it, provided they watch a short video on the State Department of Health website. I'm not making that up. That's mm-hmm. true. Um, the bill would have eliminated that. They would have uh, completely eliminated uh, personal conscious exemptions, uh, any sort of you know, personal belief that vaccines were quote-unquote bad or whatnot. Uh, That bill's been thrown out. That's in weird, weird grouping for me. It's usually, at least from my childhood, I realize times have changed. It's usually the more liberal politicians pushing vaccine choice uh, just because of the the new age, you know, keep the bodily fluids pure movement that came out of the the left of the 60s and 70s and whatnot. Uh, But this time of age, it's, it's Republicans and the uh, homeschooling Christians and whatnot that are really all aboard this train. Uh,
2: I'm all about that horseshoe theory. You know, you go <laughs> yes. far enough either way and they meet. That's
0: <laughs> the, the other major it's, casualty yeah. of the negotiated settlement was a gun control measure that was most notable for raising uh, the gun purchasing age in Oregon to 21. It had the votes to pass, it will now not be brought to the floor um this would have matched it to our tobacco age which had recently in this last year or so been raised to 21 as well uh notably one of the bills that the democrats saved that the republicans want scrapped and i put saved in air quotes because we didn't have to offer them a goddamn thing i think we're pretty stupid to do so uh but one of the things we did save and are going to be moving forward with is a cap and trade bill so Silver linings, yay, although you guys just spent some time shitting all over Cabin Trade, so fuck you.
1: <laughs> I mean, oh. it's not really like it I don't hate it. I just don't like that Biden thinks it's our only opportunity. Yeah. Or or that, that is like you know, yeah, it's it's a thing, and it should have happened in the nineties. Right. And like the quicker that we collectively get it together and be like, Oh yeah, that's some basic shit. Like everybody needs to do that, Like cap and trade is super, super important. It's just, it's just the beginning. Yeah. It's like saying that if you go to work, you should get paid for your labor. That's like, that's some basic shit. Like, yeah, everybody should be on board. When people aren't on <laughs> board with that idea, we have problems.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, yeah, it's, it's the market-friendly uh, approach to climate science. Yeah. yeah. I, I kind of like that. My, my yeah. libertarian economics professor in, like, 2003 just loved it. So, yeah, I totally...
0: <laughs> we, we allow people to make a profit uh, while saving the max amount of climate they can. You know, yeah. if
1: you want yeah.
0: to create... It, it, a... is,
1: it is literally the most incrementalist and corporate-friendly version of a climate change policy you can have. Like, this, this was supposed to be the, like, the foot in the door to, like, the real things.
0: Yeah, and right. one of the things I like about cap-and-trade is it creates a recurring incentive for greenifying, If you're making a factory, and, you know, a a factory that does whatever is allocated whatever number of pollution credits under the law, and you make everything green, you make everything emissionless, every year you get those pollution credits. Every year you can sell those off. That's literally directly subsidizing you creating the cleanest workplace you can in terms of the climate, in terms of emissions and whatnot. Uh, it's not like a one-and-done deal. It's not like a subsidy payment where you put on solar panels on your house and the federal government gets to $1,000 in taxes and whatnot. The cap-and-trade creates a recurring incentive to actually sustain green infrastructure, and I, I think that's an important step. Obviously, it's not the only step, and obviously it should have happened like 35 years ago, you know, mid-'80s or something like that. But I, I think it can move the needle a lot. I also believe that we're going to have to move into geoengineering solutions where we start building things to prevent climate.
2: Yeah, I I I think that's absolutely true. I think no matter how many emissions we intend intend to uh, cap and you know reduce here in the United States, the developing world is going to continue wanting to develop and get out of poverty and they're going to do that by burning coal so yeah the climate's going to continue to change and we need to be ready for it
0: there's a lot of cool proposals which i I suppose we'll talk about uh the future but uh something even as simple as like a a net screen between us and the sun uh in in orbit similar that can do some station keeping and whatnot that blocks 10 of the sun's rays can counteract 10% of climate or or 10% of Hmm. warming or
1: something. That That is fucking nightmarish. Oh my God. Nightmare is necessary.
0: Um, And there's also working carbon uh, sequestration. But how
1: much is it going to cost, Brock? I mean, really?
0: So here's here's where we get to the other one uh, that I'm real excited about. Just in the last year or so, we've we've seen large scale... uh, trial runs that work at, at fairly close to economic levels where you can turn a profit running these um, carbon sequestration from the atmosphere plants there's a big one in british columbia uh that one has some backing through bill gates and a few others um, being able to, to
1: yeah that's my best hope
0: yeah they, there's another one that's a bit that's, further, that's the
1: one these... that seems like the least amount of nightmare yeah. Though even still, like, uh, thought that it still has to be profitable is like nauseating to me. Well, see, such a mafia way that we're going
0: to jump from just you know profitable to actually creating a business around this is once we uh, collect enough from the atmosphere, you can actually turn this into to fuels. So you'd have like a carbon cycle going where instead of mining new coal or whatnot, we're we're building the. The hydrocarbons we need the carbon chains that we need to burn from the already burned carbon in the atmosphere you just have to inject energy into the process which you could you know do through solar power or geothermal any sort of
1: clean power it's... it is deeply existentially depressing to me that i believe that this is most likely and that we would just continue to do so because it is economically feasible and lazy and just like Completely not learn this lesson. <laughs> but I, I'm just and just glad be it's... like it's cool. We have a vacuum that makes it better, and then we keep get to keep burning things. I was like, oh god, you stupid, stupid
2: apes! Like, oh you silly creatures! I'm <laughs> just glad that it's more sophisticated than the Futurama solution, where we just go to an ice planet. <laughs> <laughs> dump a big cube
1: every yeah, 10 years I mean yeah there's that and who's you know who's to say that we won't also still do that though Chan I think we'll get
2: there <laughs> oh god <laughs> alright
0: guys thanks for talking have a great week and I'll uh, I'll see everybody next week okay, okay.
2: alright see you next week bye, bye.